Chapter Fourteen of the Box with the Broken Seals by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The city of Boston passed through the danger zone in safety and dropped anchor in the Mercy only a few hours later than the time of her expected arrival. Toward the close of a somewhat uproarious dinner, during which many bottles of champagne were emptied to various toasts, Captain Jones, quite unexpectedly, entered the saloon, and waving his hand in response to the cheers which greeted him, made his way to his usual table, from which he addressed the little company. "'Ladies and gentlemen,' he said, "'I have an announcement to make, to which I beg you will listen with patience.' Both the English and American police, whether with reason or not, as we may presently determine, have come to the conclusion that a large number of very important documents collected in America by the agents of a foreign power have been smuggled across the Atlantic upon this ship, in hope that they may eventually reach Germany. In a quarter of an hour's time, a number of plain-clothes policemen will be on board. I'm going to ask you, as loyal British and American subjects, to subject yourselves, without resistance or complaint, to any search which they may choose to make. I may add that my own person, luggage and cabin, will be the first object of their attention. The captain, having delivered his address, left the saloon again, amidst a little buzz of voices. There had probably never been a voyage across the Atlantic in which a matter of forty passengers had been treated to so many rumors and whispers of strange happenings. Sam West got up and spoke a few words, counseling the ready assent of everyone there to submit to anything that was thought necessary. He briefly commented upon their unexplained but fortuitous escape from the raider, and heaped congratulations upon their captain. Very soon, after he had resumed his seat, the shrill whistle of a tug alongside indicated the arrival of visitors. A steward passed back and forth amongst the passengers with a universal request. All were asked to repair to their staterooms. Twenty-seven exceedingly alert-looking men thereupon commenced their task. Seated upon the couch in her room with a cup of coffee by her side and a cigarette between her lips, Catherine listened to the conversation which passed in the opposite room, the one which had been tenanted by Phillips. For some reason, the end of the voyage, instead of bringing her the relief which she had expected, had only increased her nervous excitement. She was filled with an extraordinary prescience of some coming crisis. She found herself trembling as she listened to Dr. Gant's harsh words and the smooth accents of his interlocutor. "'Well, that completes our search of your belongings, Dr. Gant,' the latter's voice observed. "'Now I want to ask a few questions with reference to the Mr. Phillips, who I understand.' died the day before yesterday under your charge. That is so, Dr. Gant agreed. He had no luggage, as we only made up our minds to undertake the journey with him at the last moment. 
The few ottomans he used on the voyage we burned. And the body, I understand. You can examine it at once, if you will, the doctor interrupted. We have purposely left the coffin lid only partially screwed down. I should like to say, however, that before arranging the deceased for burial, I asked the ship's doctor to make an examination with me of the coffin and the garments which I used. He signed the certificate and will be ready to answer any questions. That seems entirely satisfactory, the detective confessed. I will just have the coffin lit off for a few moments, and will see the doctor before I leave the ship. The men left the room together and were absent for some ten minutes. Presently, the detective returned to Catherine's room, and with him came Crawshay. Catherine had discarded the nurse's costume, which she had usually worn on board ship, and was wearing the black tailor-made suit in which she had expected to land. In the dim light, her pallor and nervous condition almost startled Crawshay. "'You will forgive my intrusion,' he said. I have just been explaining your presence here to Mr. Brightman, the detective, and I don't think he will trouble you for more than a few minutes. Please treat me exactly as the others, she begged. The search proceeded for a few moments in silence. Then the detective looked up from the dressing case which he was examining. In his hand he held the envelope addressed to Mrs. Phillips. "'Do you mind telling me what this is, Miss Beverly?' he asked. "'It is a roll of bills,' she replied, "'that belong to Mr. Phillips. "'I promised to see them handed over to his wife.' Brightman glanced at the address and balanced the envelope on the palm of his hand. "'It is against the law,' he told her, "'for a passenger to be the bearer of any sealed letter.' Catherine shrugged her shoulders. I'm very sorry, she said, but the packet which you have did not come from America at all. It was sealed up on board this ship at the time when I accepted the charge of its delivery. There is no letter or communication of any sort inside. You will not object, the detective inquired, to my opening it. She frowned impatiently. I can assure you, she repeated, that I saw the notes put inside an empty envelope. Mr. Crawshay will tell you that my word is to be relied upon. Implicitly, Miss Beverly, Crawshay pronounced emphatically, but under the circumstances, I think no harm would be done if you allowed our friend to just glance inside. The notes can easily be sealed up in another envelope. Just as you like, she acquiesced coolly, You'll find nothing but bills there. Brightman tore open the envelope and glanced inside as though he did not intend to further disturb it. Suddenly, his face changed. He shook out the contents upon the little table. They all three looked at the pile of papers with varied expressions. In Catherine's face, there was nothing but blank bewilderment. In Crawshay's, something of horror. In the detectives, a faint gleam of triumph. He pressed his finger down on the heading of the first sheet of paper. I am not much of a German scholar, he observed, 
How do you translate that, Mr. Crawshay? Crawshay was silent for several moments. Then, in a perfectly mechanical tone, he read out the heading. List of our agents in New York and district who may be absolutely trusted for any enterprise. There was another dead silence, a silence on Catherine's part of complete mental paralysis. Crawshay's face had lost all its smooth petulance. He was like a man who had received a blow. But I don't understand, Catherine faltered at last. That packet has not been out of my possession, and I saw the notes put into it. By whom, Crawshay demanded. By Mr. Phillips, she declared steadfastly. By Mr. Phillips and Dr. Gant together. The detective turned the envelope over in his hand. The bills seem to have disappeared, he observed. They were in that envelope, Catherine persisted. I have never seen those papers before in my life. Brightman's face remained immovable. One by one, he slipped the papers back into the envelope, thrust them into his breast pocket, and, turning round, locked the door. You must forgive me if the rest of our investigations may seem unnecessarily severe, Miss Beverly, he said. Catherine sank back upon the sofa. She was utterly bewildered by the events of the last few minutes. The search of her belongings was now being conducted with ruthless persistence. Her head was buried in her hands. She did not even glance at the contents of her trunk, which were now overflowing the room. Suddenly she was conscious of another pause in the proceedings, a half-spoken exclamation from the detective. She looked up. From within the folds of an evening gown, he had withdrawn a small official-looking dispatch box of black tin, tied with red tape, and with great seals hanging from either end. "'What is this?' he asked. Catherine stared at it with wide-open eyes. "'I've never seen it before,' she declared. There was another painful, significant silence. Crawshay bent forward and examined the seals through his glass. "'This,' he announced presently, "'is the official seal of a neutral embassy. "'You see how the packet is addressed?' "'I see,' the detective admitted. "'But, considering the way in which we have found it, "'you are not suggesting, I hope, that we should not open it.' "'Opened it certainly must be,' Crawshay admitted. "'But not by us in this manner. "'When you have finished your search, "'I should be glad if you will bring both packets with you "'to the captain's room.' Brightman silently resumed his labors. Nothing further, however, was found. The two men stood up together. Miss Beverly, Brightman began gravely. Crawshay laid his hand upon the man's arm. Wait for a moment, he begged. I wish to have a few words with you outside. We shall be back before long, Miss Beverly. The two men disappeared. Catherine, with a sinking of the heart, heard the key turn on the outside of her stateroom. She watched the lock slip into its place with an indescribable sense of humiliation. She had been guilty of what? She lost count of time. 
but it was certain that only a few minutes could have passed before a strange thing happened. The sight of that lock, which seemed somehow to shut her off from the world of reasonable, honest men and women, had fascinated her. She was sitting, watching it, her chin resting upon her hands, something of the horror still in her eyes, when, without sound or any visible explanation, she saw it glide back to its place. The door was opened and closed. Jocelyn Thew was standing in her stateroom. "'You?' she exclaimed. "'I am not disappointed in you, I am sure,' he said softly. "'You will keep still. You will not say a word. I have risked the whole success of a great enterprise to come and say these few words to you. I am ashamed and sorry for what you are suffering. But I want to tell you this. Nothing serious will happen. Nothing serious can happen to you. Everything is not as it seems. Will you believe that? Look at me. Will you believe that? She raised her eyes. Once more, there was that change in his face which had seemed so wonderful to her. The blue of his eyes was soft, his mouth almost tremulous. She answered him almost as though mesmerized. I will believe it, she promised, and silently and mysteriously as he had come, he turned and left her. She watched the lash. She saw the lock creep silently once more into its place. She heard no movement outside, but Jocelyn Thew had gone. During the few remaining minutes of her solitude, Catherine felt a curious change in the atmosphere of the little disordered stateroom, in her own dazed and bruised feelings. She seemed somehow to be playing a part in a little drama which had nothing to do with real life. All her fears had vanished. She rose from her place, smoothed her disordered hair carefully, bathed her temples with a dew cologne, adjusted her hat and veil, and, turning on the reading lamp, opened a novel. She actually managed to read a couple of pages before there was a knock at the door, and the two men reappeared. She laid down her book and greeted them quite coolly. "'Well, have you come to pronounce sentence upon me?' she asked. "'Our authority scarcely goes that far,' Brightman replied. "'I am going on shore now, Miss Beverly, to fetch the consul of the country to which this packet is addressed. It will be opened in his presence. In the meantime, Mr. Crawshay has given his parole for you. You will therefore be free of the ship.' but it will be, I'm afraid, my duty to ask you to come with me to the police station for further examination on my return. I am sure I shall like to come very much, she said sweetly, but if you go on asking me questions forever, I'm afraid you won't come any nearer solving the problem of how that box got into my trunk or how those bills got changed into those queer-looking little slips of paper. However, that, of course, is your affair. The detective departed with a stiff bow. Crawshay, however, lingered. Aren't you going with your friends, she asked him. He ignored the question. Miss Beverly, he said, 
you'll forgive me saying that I find the present position exceedingly painful. Why, she demanded, I don't see how you are suffering by it. It was at my instigation, he went on, that suspicion was first directed against your traveling companions. I am convinced that the first idea was to get these documents off the ship upon the person of Phillips, if alive, or in his coffin, if dead. The instigators of this abominable conspiracy have taken fright and have made you their victim. Certainly, he went on, it was a shrewd idea. I myself suggested to Brightman that your things might remain undisturbed. But for the finding of that envelope, your trunk certainly would not have been opened. You see the position I have placed myself in. I am driven to ask you a question. Did you know of the presence of those papers and dispatch box among your belongings? I had no idea of it, she answered fervently. He drew a little breath of relief. You realize, of course, he went on, that there is only one man who could have placed them there. And who is that? she inquired. Jocelyn Thew. And why do you single him out? Because, Crawshay told her patiently, we had evidence in America to show that he was working with our enemies. It is true that he has not been associated to any extent with the German espionage system in America, but he has been well known always as a reckless adventurer, ready to sell his life in any doubtful cause, so long as it promises excitement and profit. It was known to us that he had come into touch with a certain man in Washington, who has been looking after the interests of his country in America. It was the shadow Jocelyn Thew that I came on this steamer. His friends cleverly fooled Hobson and me, and landed us in Chicago too late, as they thought, to catch the boat. That is why I made that somewhat melodramatic journey after you on the seaplane. Do please consider this matter reasonably, Miss Beverly. It was perfectly easy for him to slip across and place these things in your luggage as soon as he found that his original scheme was likely to go wrong. You were the one person on the steamer whom he reckoned would be safe from suspicion. You were part of his plot from the very first, and no more than that. I cannot believe this, she said slowly. Crawshay's face darkened. It is no business of mine, Miss Beverly, he declared. But if you'll forgive my saying so, you must be infatuated by this man. The evidence is perfectly clear. You are a prominent citizeness of a great country, and you have been made an accessory to an act of treason against that country. Yet... With plain facts in my hands, it seems impossible for me to shake your faith in this person. What is the reason of it? What hold had he upon you that he should have induced you to leave your work and your home and betray your country? He has no hold upon me at all, she replied indignantly. Since you are so persistent, I will tell you the truth. I once saw him do a splendid thing, a deed, which saved me from great unhappiness. There we have it then at last, 
Crawshay exclaimed eagerly. You are under obligation to him. I certainly am, she acknowledged. And he has taken advantage of it, Crawshay continued, to make you his tool. Whatever he has done, she replied, rests between Jocelyn Thew and me. I am not in the least disposed to excuse myself or to beg for mercy from you. If you represent the law, directly or indirectly, I do not ask for any favors. I shall be perfectly ready to go to your police station whenever I am sent for. There was a knock at the door. They both turned around. In reply to Catherine's mechanical, come in, Jocelyn Thew entered. I beg your pardon, he said. Was I mistaken, or did I hear my name? We were speaking of you, Crawshay admitted, turning toward him. But I do not think that either Miss Beverley or I have anything to say to you at the moment. That's rather a pity, was the cool reply, because you may not see me again. I was looking for Miss Beverley, in fact, to say good-bye. We are docking in half an hour, and those who have been searched can go on shore, if they like to leave their whole baggage. As I have been searched twice in the most thorough and effective fashion, I have my pass out. You mean that you are going away altogether tonight? Catherine exclaimed. Only so far as Adelphi, he told her. I have some friends to see who live near Liverpool, so I shall probably stay there for two or three days. I was coming to look for you on deck presently, Crawshay intervened, but if your departure is so imminent, I will say what I have to say to you here. That would seem advisable, Jocelyn Thew agreed. I think it is only right that you should know, sir, Crawshay continued, that a very serious position has arisen here in which Miss Beverley is unfortunately involved. Incriminating documents have been found in her luggage, placed there, obviously, by some unscrupulous person who was in search of a safe hiding place. Is this true? Jocelyn Thew asked, looking past Crawshay to Catherine. I'm afraid that it is, she assented. The person who placed them there, Crawshay proceeded, the anger gathering in his tone, may believe for the present that he has been able to escape from his dangerous position by this dastardly attempt to incriminate a woman. He may, on the other hand, find that his immunity will last but a very short time. I'm at a loss, he said, to account for your somewhat melodramatic tone. But I really do not think that Miss Beverley has very much to fear. There I agree with you, Crawshay declared. She has not so much to fear as the criminal who is responsible for what has happened. He may think that he has escaped by saddling his crime upon a woman's shoulders. On the other hand, he may discover that this attempt, which only aggravates his position, will turn out to be futile. Jocelyn Thew held out his hand toward Catherine. Really, he said, the tone of this conversation takes one back to the atmosphere of the dear old Drury Lane melodrama. I feel somehow or other, he went on, 
looking into Catherine's eyes, that our friend here has cast me for the part of the villain, and you for the injured heroine. I am wondering whether I dare ask you for a farewell greeting. Catherine did not hesitate for a moment. Her shapely, ringless hand was grasped firmly by his brown, lean fingers. She felt the pressure of a signet ring, the slight tightening of his grip as he leaned a little towards her. Again, she was conscious of that feeling of exuberant life and complete confidence which had transformed her whole and humiliating situation so short a time ago. The injured heroine is always forgiving, she declared, even though she may have nothing to forgive. Goodbye, Mr. Thew, and good fortune to you. End of chapter 14